Okay, good evening everyone. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. We are uh, glad you're back. We've, we began this series, this message rather, this morning. We're going to finish it tonight. That's my plan. I share with you this morning, uh, really ever since the quarantine, um, I just f- I feel like uh, I am being reminded of our mortality. Uh, my best friend from early high school days passed away during the quarantine and uh, just two weeks ago, our, our very precious neighbor um, passed away. And, of course, with family situations, uh, with my dad with a brain tumor and mom's health is really rapidly declining. And um, My mother-in-law is just very, very weak, and now bedridden, it seems. And it's just so ever-present on my mind. And this all brings me back to when I was a teenager 17 years old, and I was challenged with the gospel. I was given a track, as I shared this morning. First track I ever remember, I was actually given two, uh, but one that hit me and really stuck out in my mind. The title of the track was, Where Will You Be Five Minutes After You Die? Nobody had ever asked me that question before, and I don't think I could have really answered that question. Uh, I would have said what so many say, would say, well, I hope I'll be in heaven. You know, that's what most people would say. Uh, but I did not know, honestly. And it was that that began um, the, the the couple. It was actually a man and his wife that uh, presented the gospel at a, at a health spa in Westchester. It's called the Spa Health and Fitness Center. Every Saturday morning they opened early. So anyone in my public high school could go and work out for free. That's what drew us in. And then we heard the gospel. And uh, I was challenged with my salvation. Um, so at the age of 17, and the Lord, it was just a year before that, my best friend from high school was with me working at a job at the church I went to. We were repairing a, patch, a hole in the roof in a, in a skylight, and he fell through, was in a coma for like nine months, I think it was, and, and um, you know, just had some real you know, brain damage, and, uh, and that was in August of 79, and it was in the summer, the next summer of 1980, uh, as a 17-year-old young man, I was given that track. And of course, I'm thinking of my friend and, and I'm so so conscious that that could have been me that fell. And then, uh, so I got saved that summer. And then the, the couple that was doing that Bible study, uh, shortly after I got saved, were coming home one night visiting family and a drunk, uh, a drunk driver was driving in their lane, hit them head on. And uh, John Caputo, many of you know his wife, Shelly, uh, passed away from that. And uh, we went to the hospital to cheer him up. And, and death scared me. That's why I got saved. I wanted to be ready for death. And uh, I just was so uncomfortable. What do you say to a young, someone that just lost his wife? They were like the role model. You know, I want to be like John and Shelly. John was a power lifter. He was awesome. And Shelly was beautiful. And I'm like, that's what I want us to be. And then um, when we went to that hospital in Chester County Hospital, I'll never forget going in that room. Uh, I was with a bunch of people. I'm glad because I, I wouldn't have known what to say. And we walked in there and I, I was shocked. There's John sitting in the hospital bed with his Bible open, not smiling, but he had the peace of God. He wasn't cursing God or blaming God. He was just, and he, he had his Bible open to Romans 8.28. Some of you know what that is, don't you? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And he was hanging his head on. He was, he said, in fact, he said, after he said, I'm hanging my hat on this. And, you know, and that's what we need to do. 
Um, but that's what made me realize that this Christianity stuff, this, thing, this newfound faith was the real thing. And that I just wanted to dedicate my life to seeing people get saved. Uh, this is a real thing. We've had so many young people come up through our ranks that sat under my preaching for years and, um, you know, seemed to embrace it and then, of course, got lured into the world and, you know, now we wonder if some of them are even saved and, um, you know, but I'm not changing. I don't regret all those years that I exhorted the young people about eternity and challenged them to consider where they will be five minutes after they die. I'm so thankful John did. I'm so thankful that as a numbskull 17-year-old that I listened. You know, I mean, I was a pretty proud, arrogant kid, uh, very, very self-centered. Uh, and the fact that God was that you just grabbed my attention, I will forever be grateful for that. I'm in the right profession, I have no doubt about it. God doesn't want everyone to be preachers. So we're talking about mortality. It is so on my mind. Mortality, the word death I mentioned this morning, is found in the scriptures. In our Bible, the one we use, King James, 346 times, the word death is found. The word die or died is found over 640 times. Sometimes it's dieth, King James, die, die, dieth. Uh, But I mean, it's in there hundreds and hundreds of times. And it all goes back to this idea that you and I, Uh, We are subject to death. We are mortal. And that's another term the Bible uses. That's the one we've been picking up on. That's the one that we mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and um, verse 53. This corruptible, talking about our body, must put on incorruption. And this mortal, that which is dying, must put on immortality. That which will not die. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This is a great message, a great theme that you and I have in the topic of a very down, morbid theme. Who wants to talk about death? My, grand, my great-grandfather didn't. Remember, I mentioned this morning, Max Gustav Pape. Uh, went back to Germany and was interviewed in a German newspaper. And uh, at 90 years of age, he was asked, you know, you know what's the secret to your, your longevity? And he said, I'll tell you what it is. In fact, let me just read the quote exactly. He said, um, I'll tell you what it is. He said, what has kept me so young? He's answering the question. Well, I will tell you, I've never thought of death. Most people talk too much of dying. A lot of people share that sentiment. You know, here's a 90 year old man, he says, I've never thought of death. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like my great grandfather, Max Gustav Pape. I just, I like the sound of that, you know. Maybe you're like my grandfather and you're like, "I, I, I don't think about death. He was 90 years old. He was, in Af- or he was in Germany, and, and he still had plans. He was hoping to go to Africa, but on his way back to America from Germany, he died at the age of 91. I hope, in that, I hope he started thinking about death. I hope you've thought about your death, because we are mortal, and the Bible says it is appointed unto men and women once to die. You and I have an appointment with death. 
In the book of Job, chapter 14, I quoted this this morning in verse 5. Uh, Job speaking of mankind, men and women, he said, Seeing his days are determined, that's us people, seeing our days are determined, the number of his or her months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds. In other words, God's the one that's in charge of how long our lives are. He's appointed it. He's, he's the one that has appointed his bounds, appointed unto men once to die. So I hope you've given thought to your own mortality before it is too late. The Bible has a lot to say. The Bible tells us that we can know where we are going to spend eternity. And by the way, all, every human being will spend, will live somewhere forever. And 1 John chapter 5 says, this is the record, the record, God's record, that God hath given to us eternal life. And then it says this, he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. And John says, these things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? I do. There was a time when I would, would have thought saying that would be very arrogant. You said you, you know you're going to heaven? Well, aren't you high and mighty? And then I, I find out the Bible says that you may know, God wants you to know, that you're going to heaven. He doesn't want you heading to the grave thinking, oh well, here it goes. I'm going to take the plunge and have no idea what's on the other side. And there will be many people surprised. So this morning, I shared the story. I shared the true event of what happened on March 1st, 1950, way before many of some of our times, in a town of Beatrice, Nebraska, in a small Baptist church, uh, on a Sunday, Westside Baptist Church was getting ready for their choir practice. Normally, they would start at 7.15 or 7.20. Um, and one by one, the 15 choir members that were supposed to be there, that normally would be there. It, it was rare, you know, it would not be rare maybe if one person was late or two people. Never have they all been late for random reasons. I mentioned a bunch of them this morning. Let me finish with the last couple. Um, one of the choir members was the stenographer Joyce Black. She said, "I was just feeling play, plain. I was feeling just plain lazy, and I stayed in my warm house until the last possible moment." So that was one reason she was late. A, mecha- a, mecha- uh, a machinist, also part of the choir, named Harvey Al, because his wife was taking care of his two boys. He's going to take them to practice with him, but somehow he got wound up talking. When he looked at his watch, he saw that he was already late. Marilyn Paul, the pianist, had planned to arrive half an hour early. However, she fell asleep after dinner. Man, you eat a good meal, and that's what happens, right? You ever done that? You ever miss church? I've had a lot of people say, sorry, I, uh, I ate a good meal and I slept. I wish I, someday I might say that. Would you forgive me if I did? I hope you would, because <laughs> I have forgiven you. Anyway, um, so... Uh, she fell asleep, and when her, mother, when her mother awakened her, it was 7.15. And so she only had time to tidy up and start out. Mrs. F.E. Paul, the choir director and mother of the pianist, was simply late because her daughter was. She tried unsuccessfully to awaken the girl early. Uh, high school girls, Lucille Jones and Dorothy Wood, were neighbors, and they would customarily go to practice together. Uh, Lucille was listening to a 7 to 7.30 radio program, 
And um, she broke her habit because she didn't. It was a really captivating radio program. She didn't want to miss it. So she thought I'll be late. So all these things happened. So that, and let me just read to you the account. At 725. So they should have all been there. And practice should have started, I think, five minutes before. Not one of them was there. And at 725, with a roar heard in almost every corner of Beatrice, the Westside Baptist Church blew up. The walls fell outward. The heavy wooden roof crashed straight down like a weight in a deadfall. But because of such matters as a soiled dress, a catnap, an unfinished letter, a geometry problem, and a stalled car, all 15 of the members of the choir were late, something which had never occurred before. And as I said this morning, I remember years ago hearing this very story with interviews of some of these people on, on a show that was Unsolved Mysteries. Some of you may remember Unsolved Mysteries. Um, but folks, God's in charge there. I mean, I see God in that. They saw God in that. You know, that's no coincidence. Now let's think, fast forward now to, to 2001, September 11th. I read of 10 people that should have been in the Twin Towers. One is the head of a company, and uh, he had to take his son to, grand, uh, to kindergarten, which usually his wife would do it. And, uh, and normally he would have been already there. He had to take his son to, grand, to kindergarten. Another man, uh, it was his turn to bring in donuts to work, or he would have been there. Another woman was late because her alarm clock didn't go off in time. Those dumb alarm clocks. She probably framed it after that, you know, because it didn't go off. And so she was not in the Twin Towers on September 11th when the planes hit. Another was late because he was stuck on the New Jersey Turnpike because of an accident, and his life was spared. By the way, next time you're in a car accident and you're running late, just remember God's in charge. And I am not preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to myself on that one. Another one couldn't get a taxi. One person went back in the, into his house to answer the phone, which was ringing. Uh, one man had put on a new pair of shoes to walk to work at the Twin Towers, and he got a blister before he got there, so he stopped at a drugstore to buy a Band-Aid. And so these are just ten examples of people, because of circumstances, that w- were not in the twin, tw- twin Towers and didn't die. But about 2,000 people did die. So what does that teach you? You know, if our lives were all about us, then God would center everything around how it benefits each one of us first and foremost. But our lives are not all about us. They're about Him. I heard a quote a couple years ago, and I tried to find it again in my notes. I think I got got it right, but I, I don't know who said it. But it went something like this. Remember... You are not the central figure of the redemption story. It's a good thing. We, we need to remember that. I want, I want to read that quote to you again earlier. If our lives were all about us, then God would center everything around, around how it benefited us first and foremost. And that's how we often think God should operate. But it's not all about us. It's all about Him. And we are not the central figure in the redemption story. He is. But here's why I say this. If God wanted to spare all 2,000 minus the hijackers, the 
you know, the people that died on September 11th, the innocent, in, innocent people that died, he could have, what he did at Westside Baptist Church that one day by having something happen, can you imagine 2,000 people being late for work uh, all randomly? That, God could do that, could he not? And you know what, if, that, if, if you and I were the, the center of God's story, uh, he would do things like that all the time. But you see, God is working out his plan, not our plan. And what God is doing is, he's working all things together according to the counsel of his will, but he is, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he's... The only reason he's putting off coming back and setting things right perfectly is that he's long-suffering and he's not willing that any should perish. And so it is all about his redemption story. But we're not the central figures. He is. and he's. So you and I don't know why God allowed something to happen. But when we get to heaven, I'm convinced of it. God's going to say now, as the all-wise, omnipotent God, let me show you, just like Job, you know, that Job is like a glimpse into, okay, God, like Ron Hamilton in his song, God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. God never moves without purpose and plan. And though we don't know it now, someday, just like Job, we'll find out what was going on behind the scenes. And we'll, we'll realize that God was all wise and we were not. And we were complaining because we didn't know what he was doing. Uh, we have to rest in, in the fact that that God is in charge. But here's the point, too. We, we, we can't make our conclusions based upon the here and now. If you're familiar with Psalm 73, and we won't turn there, but in Psalm 73, Asaph lost sight of the bigger picture, and he started fixating on the temporal, the here and now. And he looked all around him, what was going on. He saw people getting away with wickedness, and he saw righteous people struggling to get by. And he said, as for me, my feet had well nigh slipped. He almost, he, he really struggled to believe and see the goodness of God. And he almost gave up. But as you, he shares in Psalm 73, and, and he starts the, the, the psalm with what, it, what he had to learn. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a good right heart, righteous heart. But then he says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. He almost lost it. Because he looked around at him, he saw the temporal things going on, just like you and I do. Sometimes we look at what's going on, we see the temporal, we see the here and now. We're not looking at the bigger picture. We're not often looking at things in light of eternity. And we think, this just isn't right. How can God allow that to go on? And we don't understand it. And that's what happened to Asaph until verse 17 of Psalm 73. I mean, he's, he's griping, he's murmuring, he's complaining. It's just not right. I almost lost it. And then he said, until, that's how verse 17 starts out. I love this. Until I entered into the house of the Lord. He put God in the picture. Then he says, then understood I their end. So too many times we look at things in this world in the light of the temporal, not the eternal that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look not at the things which are, are temporal, we look at the things which are eternal. And so our challenge, folks, is to remember, you and I are mortal. We're sub subjected to death. And um, so God is working things out. And, and we need to remember that. 
Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 now. 1 Corinthians 15. As first this morning, we saw the future of mortality. Uh, Mortality means to be subject to death. It's related to the term perishing. In 1 Corinthians 15, corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Um, So that was the future of mortality. Someday, in fact, you know the Bible calls death an enemy. Oh, how appropriate, is it not? Death is an enemy. But the Bible says this in Revelation. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Wow, but that's the end. Death is going to die. <laughs> and we're going to live somewhere forever. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. So we saw the, fa- the fu- future of mortality... Then we saw the controller of mortality. In fact, let me read one more verse along those lines. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 15. But in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and I bookmarked this, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible says this, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, Does the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus dwell in you? Jesus said, Those who believe on Him out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. And John said that was Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit, which those that believe on Him will receive. So if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are what the Bible says saved. And if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, that means to make alive, quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Every Christian we've lost in our church fellowship is going to be made alive. And if you're saved and you die, you're going to be made alive. I get to, You know what's amazing? I've done so many funerals, I like not to talk about it. But you know what's a blessing? And you know what's so easy, per se? When you do a Christian's funeral, you have hope. You just have hope, hope, hope all over the place. And if that person had a a pretty clear testimony that they were saved, none of us are perfect. But if they had a clear testimony, what a blessing! And the hardest thing to do as a pastor is to preach the funeral of someone that you know went to their grave denying Jesus Christ. That's tough. That's really tough. I've done funerals from, from people as young as two years old up to 97 years old and everywhere in between. Um, and one of these days, someone's going to do my funeral. And I hope, I, I know, you know, that, that there's hope. You, by the way, if you come to my funeral, if, you're like, if you outlive me, don't talk about how good I was because that's not what's getting me into heaven. Okay, because there's probably going to be 50 people at the funeral that know that I wasn't perfect. And if I outlive my wife, she'll be the first one. You could give her two hours and she could tell you all my imperfections. But you know what? That's not what gets us to heaven. Praise the Lord. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed all my sin. My name's written in the book of life. I'm on my way to heaven. What a blessing. What a blessing. So now we see the hope of all mortals. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 now. Are, are you there? 1 Corinthians 15. And this has been our theme chapter. And by the way, it is called the resurrection chapter. And, and, and yet it's been all about death. 
because it's all about resurrection. Now look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15.1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Greek word there, translated gospel, is euangelios. It means good news. I declare unto you the good news, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, and by which also ye are saved. We are saved through a message. Not through a religious activity, not through a sacrament or an ordinance or a work. We're saved through the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. So what is this gospel? What is this good news? Now he's going to tell us in verse 3. For I delivered unto you the gospel. I delivered unto you. First of all, that which I also received. So what Paul preached, he first received himself. And here it is. Here's the gospel. How the Christ died. Remember, we're talking about mortality being subject to death. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about death, but it starts off with the death of Jesus Christ. For that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, when Jesus died on the cross, He died for our sins. He was paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. Get a hold of that. He was dying on that cross, paying the penalty that you and I deserve. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and then here's the good news, the great news, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen. And that lists all the people that saw Him. And you and I are going to see Him again. What an amazing thing. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 Paul says, but is now, speaking of God and Jesus Christ, is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Folks, when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we read it this morning, this corruptible, this corruption, This mortal body, this corrupt body must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. He's talking about those who believed in Jesus. Those who believe. He's brought life and immortality. He abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's our only hope, folks. It's not a church. So many people really believe that it's their church that saves them. And I want to tell you something. There's even Baptists that believe that. I just read an article. If you've ever heard of the Baptist Bride uh, or Landmarkism, it's a teaching that only Baptists are part of the, the church. There's no such thing as universal church, only Baptists. It's, it's the same thing I believe growing up with my denomination. Folks, a church, no church died on the cross for your sins. That is the most important thing that you and I have to realize. And if you're trusting your church... No matter how good it is, it is not what saves you. Do not let your hope be in a denomination or a religious affiliation, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I got saved, I um, was 17 years old. I told you that just three years ago. You do believe that, right? All right, when I got saved... I was challenged. I told you what was going on in my life. I was so aware of my own mortality. 
And all my friends, a lot of my friends, when they were going to this Bible study at the spa, they went, like I did initially, just for a free workout. And when they realized there was a religious connotation, they, they ditched. You know, who wants to hear this guy, Bible thumper? Um, but I remember, first few months that I went to this Bible study, every Saturday, John Caputo was opening the Bible and just talking about Jesus dying for the sins of the world, blah, 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 is how I say it. Because I heard that growing up every all the time in my church. My church was a Christian denomination, and it talked about Jesus dying for the sins of the world, blah, 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 blah. Same thing every week, every Saturday, or every Sunday. But it dawned on me after a couple months, because I thought, yeah, this is the same thing I hear in church. I'll just, I'll just sit through this boring Bible study so I can work out for two hours in this awesome gym. So as he's, I mean, we're literally, literally sitting on a weight bench while he's preaching, and I'm like looking at all the different weight benches and all that and thinking, oh, I'm going to try that one next time. Oh, that one's nice. And then pretty soon God got, got my heart. And I realized, you know what? This isn't the same thing I heard. If I, if I die without Christ, I'm going to hell. And so I got saved. And the first thing I thought of was a friend of mine from my junior high days. I met this, this man named Jimmy uh, when I was in junior high. And um, now we were in the same high school together. He was a good friend of mine. And he told me when we were in junior high, he said, I've got leukemia. And the doctors tell me that I will not live past 17. And we were like 14 or 15. And I just, that just hit me between the eyes. Because this Jimmy was the, just the nicest, happiest kid. And, and he was like, he's, he lived for life. I mean, he, he was a scuba diver. He went skiing. He did all these things that I wouldn't, wouldn't have the courage to even venture into. And he was facing his mortality amazingly. And when I got saved... Guess who the first person that came to my mind was that I got a witness to? I got a witness to Jimmy. And I made some feeble attempts to invite him to church. There was even a a church function. Uh, They had like a Christian rodeo where they presented the gospel. Um, And I invited him to that. And then he came and then he left. And and I just remember he was always on the forefront of my mind. i got to get to Jimmy just to witness to him. Got to get to Jimmy just to witness to him. And, um, and then I remember we graduated from high school. And one day I got a knock at my door. It was a mutual friend. I still can picture him at the front door. And he says, Steve, Jimmy's dying. He's in the hospital. He doesn't have much time. And I, and, and I panicked. And I thought, i got to get to him. And did I get to him? I did not. And he died. And for 30 years, I, it weighed on my conscience that if Jimmy, I, I don't know, if he never heard the gospel, I did not know. I didn't talk to him about getting saved. And he died. And for all I know, he died without Christ. And I was no friend to him at all. I would have told you I, I was a good friend of him and you know I loved him, but I was no friend to him. Thirty years later, thirty years, and I vowed, and this is why I'm bringing this up tonight, I vowed I will never allow there to be another Jimmy scenario. And I wish I could tell you that I've stuck to that. But I have failed miserably. There are so many people that God tugs on my heart 
I try, I've witnessed to people, but I cannot say that, you know, that has never happened again. I wish I could. So I've lived with that for 30 years. Then we had a high school reunion, our 30th reunion, 11 years ago. Whoa, yes, that's how ancient I am. And, um, and, and I put together a memorial for those that we lost. I think we lost like 21 of our classmates out of a class of over 400. I uh, went to high school in Westchester. And so I put together a tribute and I, I called the family members to get pictures and obituaries and just wanted to put kind of like a slideshow to show at our 30th reunion. And, uh, and I got, I got hold, actually this was before that even. No, it was 30 years. So I got hold of Jimmy's family and his sister said, you know, dad has all the pictures, photo albums. He lives in Havertown. How perfect was that? So I called up Mr. Lloyd and I was able to go there and he just, you know, showed me. In fact, he let me take home uh, two big photo albums that were at Jimmy's funeral with all the pictures and all so I could go through them and scan them and use them. And as I'm going through all these pictures and scanning them and pictures of, of Jimmy and classmates and and um, all of a sudden in the back of the one of the photo albums was, was a five-page letter. And it starts out... Um, dear Jimmy, it, and it was, anyway, it was a five-page letter. I, I have it in my office. I should have brought it out. And he just says, she just says, it's from his Aunt Jane. By the way, my son-in-law has an Aunt Jane. My daughter has an Aunt Jane now. Uh, and you know Aunt Jane. We call her Elizabeth. Um, but this is a different Aunt Jane. And uh, Aunt Jane, in those five pages, poured her heart out and shared how God had saved her and she just gave the gospel to Jimmy so clearly scriptures, I mean, just all the scriptures we would use, clear gospel, lovingly challenging him to, to, to get saved. And then at the end of the letter, she said, um, Jimmy read this. And by the way, she dated it. It was given to him three weeks before he would die. And she said, he said that he read it and he understood it. And, you know, Paul said, when Paul died, he said, I am free from the blood of all men. Paul preached the gospel. He did not want anyone's soul to be on his hands because he didn't witness to them. Aunt Jane can say the same. I can't. But you know, when I read that letter after 30 years, thinking that Jimmy never heard the gospel because of my incompetence, you know, there's some Aunt Janes in the world. I was rejoicing. Jimmy heard the gospel. And according to his, his aunt, you know, he understood it and you know, that's everything. Hearing the gospel and believing. That's everything. But folks, people are still dying at an incredible rate. And people need Jesus Christ. I, I could give an excuse, sadly. You know, I, I went into the ministry because I wanted people to be warned and, and have the opportunity to get saved. And because of ministry demands... Uh, I have at times been too busy, and this is this is horrible. Too busy to stop and witness to someone. Too busy to challenge someone about their their eternal needs. Shame on me, folks. I, I am reminded, and I, I want to remind you that we are mortal, and because of that, we are subject to death. The Bible makes it so clear. Again. That it is the gospel 
It is, and Jesus Christ, or, or, and is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I want to close with a verse I began with this morning, a passage. It was Second Corinthians chapter five and verse one. It's the epitome of what being mortal is. Remember, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's being mortal. Our human bodies are failing us. They are subjected to death. Well, Paul says we have a building of God and house not made with hands. And then he goes on. He says, for we that are in this tabernacle, this human body, we do groan. And the older you get, the louder your groans are. Amen, older people? They are okay. Uh, for a, a, We that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would not be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Folks, there is hope beyond the grave. And so now Paul says, and I close with this, therefore, because of what Jesus did on the cross, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That should describe us, you and I. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we are willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Is that your hope? I hope you're trusting in Jesus Christ. I hope you're not trusting in this church or any other church to get you to heaven. I hope you're trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to explain what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm mainly doing this for Talala's sake. um, Because what I want to do, anybody that wants to stay after, I'm going to have prayer. And then Talala, you can keep the streaming going for anyone online that wants to do this. And you can come down and play a song as we close. And then what we're going to try and do... Uh, I just I want to honor our neighbor Tony. He was such a blessing to our family. He wrote um, he wrote songs. I'm going to explain it in a minute. There's two songs that I want you to hear. They're just a, a few minutes each, um, and I want you to hear it. I want to play it, but I want there to be an official end to the service with some music. And then if you're able to pull them up, they're just audio clips on the desktop. One of them is called um, uh, the first one. One of them is called uh, Boudreaux. The other one's called, uh, How Could... Do you see them there? They're audio tapes. They're audio things on the desktop. Anyway, let's do this. We're going to close in song. Tell you can even deal with that later. Um, then there's no rush. Just keep the streaming going. We'll close in song. And then tell Allah we'll have a, a, you know, play an interlude for a verse or two. And then I'll come back. And I'll just quickly introduce these songs uh, if you can stay for a few minutes, I'd really love to, to just introduce you to, to my neighbor Tony. What a blessing he was. They, he wrote a song about our family. He wrote a song about several of our neighbors. One of them was about a big fat cat that my next door neighbors had. And it's just so clever. So I want to just play two songs for you. We'll do that after. But let's, let's stand and, uh, and we'll close in song. But let's stand and we'll pray and then Dave will close in song. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we do not need to fear death. We don't need to push it out of our mind, uh, nor should we. And I pray that you would help us, Father, to prepare, uh, to, to reckon, come face to face with our own mortality so that we might have our hope in Jesus Christ and the assurance 
of the future resurrection. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please